0: hello hello this is dale moano thank you so much for joining and listening to our podcast persevere to excel podcast. I'm so excited to be back with this interviews today in this cold, breezy New Hampshire weather. And um you know, it's a crazy time. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. I know Thanksgiving looks a lot different this year, but I'm excited to to for the interview today and I have some special guests with me. I have Hamisi Juma and Brian Brady and we're going to chop it up. So, hang on tight. We're going to kick this off. Great 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 great. Well, I just want to say I've I've known you guys for a good amount of time and I'm super excited to have you join me on the podcast, part of part of the brotherly podcast um uh, focus that I'm focusing on for this next couple of weeks where I'm bringing in different uh brothers do I know, some people of color that I know in the community, uh, to just to just chop it up, to have a conversation around uh, what's been happening, where people are, family dynamic, what's going on with coping with COVID, but more importantly, to create a space where This is just an authentic conversation. Hopefully that it uplifts other folks that hear this. So um, I got my friend Hamisi here and I have uh, Brian Brady with me. So Hamisi, tell me a little bit about yourself for our opening. I'm just curious because I I know you got your African background from Congo, but how do you you celebrate Thanksgiving? Like what's your go-to? How did you and the family celebrate Thanksgiving? My
1: name is Hamisi Joma from Congo, as you said. East Congo, the, the most dangerous place in the world. More than 20 million people died there. Uh, we survived. I survived. I've been in the United States for 10 years. And since I get here, I'm just experiencing a lot of culture. I can call it culture events, like the one who say Thanksgiving I, have, I saw another one, uh, Halloween, the one we keep just celebrating. But about Thanksgiving, I feel like the way people celebrate it, it just the real meaning of human being. It's not only on Thanksgiving we have to do it. It's just about people care about others, share with others. Which it just not, it just for me, I always see this event like because I'm Muslim, the one we call Edi Fitri or Edin Adha, every time when we finish Ramadan, because we're used to just gathering, people share food, people see each other. so this Thanksgiving, I think is just really and I to be honest, I'm gonna tell you, is my best one more than Christmas, New year. Easter, that one is my best
0: one. Thanksgiving's your favorite, huh? Right, it's
1: my favorite one.
0: And, and, and what, what, did you, what did you guys do for food? I'm just, I'm just curious because I'm sure that there's all different types of, you know, food from your home country, food from here. So I'm curious, what, what did you guys do for food last week?
1: Uh, I have food here. I, I can show you the picture, but now I can't. I can't I'm going <laughs> to send to you we are going to see. But to be honest... This was my first time I just sit here with my kid because we always go. We just get uh, someone invited us to go celebrating there. But this one I just because of this pandemic, we just decided to do it home, which was just a good experience. My young brothers came because I have five kids. So my four kids and the baby, my wife, my brothers, it was really nice. I really enjoyed it. I feel like every
0: weekend we can start doing that Thanksgiving. Oh, wow, that's great. I'm glad that you had a great experience with your family, um, Hamisi, which we're, we're gonna definitely talk about that more. Uh, what, what, what about you, Brian? I, I know I saw some pictures on, on Facebook uh, of your spread. H- how was Thanksgiving, man? How was Thanksgiving with the family?
2: Thanksgiving was great. We had, um, you know, just uh, in our house, we have five kids. So there were seven of us around the dinner table. One of the things that's challenging because of COVID, Um, and with the age of my kids, they tend to stay in their rooms most of the time. So it was nice to have everybody gathering around the table and enjoying a meal. And we do a traditional, you know, Thanksgiving, Turkey, cranberry sauce, mashed potatoes, green bean salad, and, um, um, sweet potatoes. So it was really nice. And we just really had a nice time, uh, for the day. That's great. That's awesome. And yeah, and on on my end, we, uh,
0: we usually have a good a good amount of people that come through at our house for for Thanksgiving, and unfortunately, uh, that wasn't the case. It was just us, and um, we uh, we made the best out of it. We did some FaceTiming with with families and friends uh, at, that are in different places. Um, but I want to piggyback to what Hamisi was saying earlier. Definitely a good time to kind of just reflect and take in what kind of the year that we've had with, you know, obviously with with the the COVID quarantine and everything else that's happening within our society to kind of just reflect and, you know, and and ground yourself. And, and that's what it's all about. So um, I do have a crazy story about Thanksgiving growing up. Uh, we, my mother always cooked like traditional food. I'm originally from the Congo as well as Hamisi said. So she always cooked traditional food. You know, The more older we got, the more we started to incorporate other stuff. But we would be the one to cook it. And I remember one time uh, a, a local friend came over and he smelled the turkey. And he was like, what is that smell? And I was like, that's, that's my mom deep frying the turkey. And he was like, can I just get a bite? My mom cut him a piece, small little piece of butt, and he had that turkey. You should have seen his reaction oh my gosh oh my gosh this is the best turkey I've ever had I'm like chill man she just deep fried it so you know it's, it's, it's always interesting and um, as you adapt to you know different holidays and traditions that that are celebrated here as being originally a foreigner moving here you know we always had our own version of what Thanksgiving uh, was and now it's you know it's, it's, it's more traditional you know now that I'm married and I have kids and we celebrate it at our house but I've, I, I, I could I always remember that time my friend went crazy after trying my mother's turkey um so
2: it's 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 interesting i just want to add just a little bit to that because my parents immigrated from the caribbean and so it's nice when you are as a young kid you have some traditional food incorporated into the meal and that's something that i miss now that i'm older it it, those types of things are no longer part of the thanksgiving meal and i kind of miss that so
0: oh man that that, that's actually a great segue into our next questions and the reason why i I brought you guys together because i i know that you have um you know different backgrounds and different journeys that led you to to resettle and live in the community where we are now and I, i am really super fascinated around that like how do you still hold on to kind of you know the traditions that you were you were raised with knowing that you know your parents migrated here from a different place where, Hamisi, you just came here in the last couple of years, same, same as me, even though I've been here for 20 years, it still feels that, you know, I'm in this crossroad between uh, the traditions that I had growing up in the Congo and the traditions that I've developed and accustomed to since moving to America and living here for the last 20 years. But I, I am curious around that. Like, how do you still you know, hold on to those, 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 those cherish, cherishable moments but also the cultural practices that are part of you? I guess
1: I'll start with um, Hamisi. For that one, one thing you just... I can say I came over when I, I had already three kids. So I can say quarter of my lifetime I spent there to Africa. Oh, half of my lifetime because I don't know how, how much I'm going to give I get here when I was 25. So like my time... From elementary school, high school, study, uh, university, I've been in in Africa. So I get the culture in me. And when I get my kids, I just want to raise them as African kids. Because uh, my first one is 15 right now, second one 13, third is 11 right now. So you see, 10 years, so it means like my first one will get here when she was five, three, and one. But one thing I always keep in my mind is just the discipline I give myself as African men. I have to keep my culture. I don't need to keep all of them, but most of the one I feel like this is good for my life and good for my family, I have to keep it. The reason why every time I tell you, I, I always call you, text you, my brother, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go back to, for vacation. I never go anywhere else. Every time I get vacation, I always go back in Congo, in Africa, like those are uh, our neighbor countries. Because I wanna keep that culture in me. I wanna keep my blood, like, I don't wanna lose anything. Like, forget about my culture or doing something, which I always, every time when I get here, after my vacation, we always sit on the table. And I talk to my family. It's the experience, that I just get there with, my, with uh, those, uh, my other family member there in Africa, which is just to make sure, to make, like, to give them some ideas to understand where we are coming from, even if we're here. But we still have our own culture. We still have our, our what are you talking our country, like their, our separate country. because they have to make sure they know, they like they're gonna go in that part, that, that way. They wanna just take because once you just forget about where you are coming from, it means like you get lost. There's a uh, a a sentence like a pro like a I don't know how I can call it, but in French they always call it an adage, which says. In Swahili. Whoever forget where he's coming from is like a slave. Which, I don't want my kids lose that one. Even if they're doing, like, most of their stuff here, they just get married, doing everything here. I don't mind that, but they have to remember they have their own culture, which it helps. And once they respect that one, they're gonna end up like in in good uh, uh, way to reach their ends, no luck like losing their control.
0: Thank you. thank you so much for sharing that, Hamisi. So it sounds like you're you're very intentional. Uh, one of the things that you brought up is the fact that you came here to this country when you were 25 years old, already with three children, and you make it an effort that when you take those vacation time or vacation experiences, that you're going back home. And when you come back, you're sharing with your family what your experience has been, because for you, it's very important to make sure that the tradition and the cultural practices, it's still infused in your family, even though um, your kids have different experiences growing up here in America. Thank you so much for sharing. What, what, what about you, Brian? How, how I know you mentioned kind of your your family's upbringing. I know one time, you know, you introduced me to a local place where they were selling oxtail part of their yes, meal, you
2: know, so. Absolutely. Wow. So I'm
0: just curious from you, Brian, how, how have you kept, you know, your, 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 your the traditions that, that were passed on from your family and what that journey it's been like
2: in retaining it? So, I mean, culture is just really fascinating. One of the things is, um, you don't think about your culture while you're experiencing, it's just what you know. It's how you're you're experiencing life, right? Very true. And so as a child, the food you eat, the music you listen to, the way you dress, the way you are comfortable are things that you experience. And it's fortunate because when you come in, you're able to then see how things are different and, and you can actually incorporate your culture into wherever you're living, right? And so you might think that you're, you're coming from a unique culture. Like for me, you know, my parents from the West Indies, I have this sort of West Indian American culture, but reflecting that in my life here in New Hampshire, part of that is New Hampshire becomes a part of that recipe. It would be completely different if I grew up in Chicago or if I moved to California, I would then incorporate maybe components of where I'm living as part of that recipe as well. Um, and so it's, it's really interesting because when you think about your children, um, their unique experience is completely different. And it may not necessarily be, oh, they're listening to the same music or eating the same food. They may not have the same level of appreciation for it. But it's something that they can identify with and they it's something that will be a reflection of who they are. So I may not give them the same experience that my father had given me, but I'm able to then give them a little bit of it. And hopefully, they'll take that into their future as well.
0: No, oh, thank you so much for sharing that. And, and that that dynamic, especially when it's being shared on to your kids, it's its For me personally, it's one of those things where I literally have to slow down the process and realize that their perspective and their experience, it's 100% going to be different. So I can't just like assume or get mad if I'm not spending the time to educate and teach them about where I came from and what the practices, you know, that, that, that I grew up with, or even just the dynamic between my mother and I, right? Like my mother's still very... A lot of her approach is still very Congolese, African-like. So when she's around my kids, like my kids know that uh, they call it Coco, which is Coco is you know a way of saying grandmother in 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 in, in Lingala and Swahili. And but they just know that certain attributes Grandma Coco has is very accustomed to Coco because of where Coco and Dad came from. But I don't think they think too much of some of those traditions as that was Daddy's. Tra- Practices and traditions too. So when I bring it up, it's almost like they have to, like, oh, realize, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, we forgot. Like, daddy is from Congo but they don't, like example, like they don't hear my accent or whatever it is, right? Like whatever the way that I, my day-to-day operation is with them. Um, uh, the only thing that they get on a consistent basis is like, you know, maybe some of the type of food that I cook, I love, I love my food soupy, right? So I might have beans over rice or chicken where my middle child is more receptive to that type of food where, so they see that on a consistent basis. But when it comes to like, just like even just different approach. Like I find myself sometimes I'm frustrated. I'm like, how do they not know? Then I remember like, this is not their experience. This yeah. is not their experience at all. And sometimes my kid will ask me something about, you know, an experience that, 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 that is in Africa or whatever it is. And I get insulted. I'm like, how can it be that my son is asking me a, such a question? like this? doesn't he know? And then I'm like, ew, like he, he's growing up here.
2: It's it's also a reflection (laughs) of technology. I had a conversation (laughs) with my kids about five years ago, where I was listening to just this motivational tape. And one of the lines in it was like, Ali said, I am the greatest, and he became the greatest. And someone asked, one of the kids asked, who's Ali? And I was like, you do not know who Muhammad Ali is? And I realized that as a dad, my job was to introduce them to Muhammad Ali. And so we were able to show them who Muhammad Ali was, how he grew up in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, how he became the greatest heavyweight fighter in the world, and just his his whole story. And I was able to show them the movie uh, starring Will Smith. And I said this is your job to be able to connect them to your history and the people who are important in the history uh, so that that can linger on. And the great thing is, is when we made a trip last winter to Louisville, Kentucky, we were able to go visit the Ali experience. That's great. And it was not anything foreign to them. They knew who Muhammad Ali was going in and the humanitarian work, his is. His boxing career, his challenges with the government, his um refusal to fight in Vietnam in the army all of those things were something that they were able to take away, and those were lessons that I was able to share with them um and that's something that i could I, I can appreciate and, and and that's and that's the crazy part i'm gonna throw it back to you, Hamisi, but it, the crazy
0: part is like you literally have to stop the process of that autopilot that's the reality of your current environment in order to create the space to infuse things such as that. And, 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 and unfortunately, because of sometimes the make of the environment that your kids might be growing in, some of those experiences that you had or some of those things that are like common knowledge are just not part of the everyday lingo and experiences that they're experiencing. So thank you for sharing that, Brian. Uh, Hamisi, what, what, what about you? I know you, you had something to say.
1: Yeah, uh, thank you, Brian, for that piece you bring for Mohamed Ali. But for me, I'm going to bring it about food. Because today I was eating with my kid after work, and we were sitting. So we started talking just a little bit, and I told uh, my daughter, like, do you know our African, uh, our culture food, the one more rest- respectable she said, no, dad. And I told her, does just uh, rice and cassava leaves. Condu, zombie. Mm-hmm. So my, uh, my wife told them, like, you know uh, what's your your, your, favorite, your your favorite food? So they said, yeah, condu and, uh, and rice, sombe and rice. So I told them, you see how the culture is connected. This is more respectable food from our culture, but you guys never been there, and I wasn't even in the our our village. But for me, I've grown up. I, I, I like that one, the rice and and, and My kids never been there, but look, they just that is their the favorite food. If you cook our uh, rice and beans, they're gonna eat because okay, they're gonna eat. But for rice and Sunday and all Pondu, they so really like it. So I told them, this is our culture and never forget it. We have different culture and every culture has their food. So they asked my wife, they asked her, mama, what about yours? Because they know we are different culture. Yeah. And, and my wife told them like, uh, our culture is just sweet potato and I think it's just kind of milk, the one, you know, the, the milk sauce, they just Put it together, that is their food. So they said, We never eat your food, but we always eat Papa's food. <laughs> <We> eat Papa's <laughs> food. Yeah, so, I said, Yeah, but one day is my plan. I'm going to take them there so they so can just see the real life about Africa, because most of the time when they just want to go they're just killing each other, farming, people don't have electricity but I'm going to just take them there so they can see more reality more than what they've been seeing on the media.
0: No, a hundred percent. And, 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 and there's so many different opportunities that even if we're not within the culture practices that we grew up with to still keep it in the forefront. And it sounds like food and history and teaching certain things are so critical. Um, Last week, my kid said something kind of insulting at some point regarding a perspective that he had around the um, um, African experience. And and I remember I just stopped and I literally went to um, – I have a lot of my ba- pictures when I was in Congo um, screenshot on my phone. And, um, and I was just like, stop. And I went on my phone and I pulled up a bunch of pictures of me when I was like three and four. And I pointed at his face and I said, what is daddy wearing? And he said, you're wearing, you're wearing shoes, you're wearing socks, you're wearing shorts, you're wearing pants. And I said, you know, this was when daddy was in the Congo, right? And he smiled. But at that moment for me, I knew for sure that that visualization was the only thing that was going to be close to him for him to understand what the experience that I came out of. And and, and, mm-hmm. and and even though that's not the first time we've had those conversations, I had to remind him what my experience was growing up in the Congo because there, there's something that either from Lion King or whatever that he was watching that influenced a certain narrative that wasn't true. And I felt so insulted by that. I literally was like, where's my phone? Let me get my phone. And I pulled it up. I was like, do you see that? What is daddy
1: wearing? But, uh, <laughs> they're, they're but you know, uh, for that, I always like those challenges so they can understand better. Because once they just challenge you like that, you, it's just you to just explain to them. I really like the, the, uh, the example you bring. You just show them, this is me. So it means like we didn't have, like we have clothes, we have shoes, we have socks. So don't think like what you just see is just the reality. We have our own reality, which if you get there, you're gonna be just so surprised to see what you just see on the media
2: and what is on the reality yeah right. i think I know you that it's, it's, it's a fascinating um it's a fascinating thing because it really comes down to the lens that we view the world and for most kids in this country it's not that they see africa as a place that's impoverished it's they don't see africa at all and so they fill in the 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 blank space with what everybody else will have as a description of places in Africa. And I think that, you know, we don't get any media that reflects the life of, of the world outside of our own little specific lands. It's like, you know, um, very unfortunate. And I think we should see movies that are set in Africa that show life and culture. When you look at um, a movie from Africa and you talk to a kid, any kid, they'll say, well, my only perspective is Wakanda. And the reality is, is that Wakanda is fictional. We want them to see, you know, what does Nairobi look like? You know, how, the traffic jams. And 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 there are reflections of that in some areas, but we need to show more. And I think that that's very important. Um, and and we have to stop this sort of like um sort of like only 100 mile view of the world we need to sort of expand beyond that and re- and recognize that you know there are a lot of different places and people who are raising children and trying to live their lives. And and they have sort of the same dreams and, and passion and interest that we all do. You know, iPhones are not just unique to the U.S. Everybody in the world can use an iPhone and they're taking pictures and they're publishing those pictures up on Instagram. And so if you want to see the world, you need to expand your lens so that you can see those reflections and make certain that our children see it as well.
0: No, that that makes a lot of sense. I um, I I want to move on to the next segment of questions that I have. We can definitely stay here forever. I I I, I do want to talk about like the dynamic of of fatherhood, right? And, and 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 father and 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 father fatherhood responsibility as a as 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 a black father, right? As a as a as a black dad and a black. Um, leader within your household right I, 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 that's something that i've it's been a crazy journey for me i mean i'm still somewhat a young father my oldest child is eight years old and i feel like I'm, I'm this is my second part of life of being a father the first one was was thrown at me as being the oldest of five brothers and having to kind of play that role but shifting yeah. into being your own father to your own children is a different experience and so part of this segment I just wanted to I want to talk about like the dynamic of you know w- what did you bring with you based on how you were raised and the experiences that you, you you had with your father that influenced what type of dad you are today or what have you what how have you transformed and, and morphed in something that's that's a little bit different right than what your additional um, uh, experiences were because the the big thing within the narrative that we hear a lot, you know, especially in the media and society wide, is always like you know the absence of black fathers within families, and 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 you know we know that when you look at statistic, it is an issue in, in America when you look at that. But at the same time, there are dads that are present that are committed to their children. At, at at many different capacities. So um, when I was thinking about our conversation today, I was like, "Man, I want I want to talk about that." Here I here I have my my good friends who are also fathers and with kids in different age group. Like, what has their experiences been like? Um, so I'll start with you, Hamisi. I'm curious to know. You know, being and congratulations on your newest edition, man. I, I you know. You, You completely, you're running a four-mile sprint, man. I'm still at three here, and I think I'm good with three, and you just added another one. Congrats, my brother.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, The way I was raised, I used to see my dad just wake up in the morning, go to work, and then come back in the evening, provide everything like my dad used to provide everything like for well-being for his family my mom used to stay with us cooking for us wash dishes take care of the house and my dad used to provide everything money to, uh, to buy food money for school money for clothes like everything my dad used to do So for that experience, when I was just getting my kids back home, I just go through the same path, just doing the same way. So when I just get to United States, I just come to new reality, new culture. Everybody has to work and everybody has to support each other. But I like the idea for me, as African men, I always like to work hard so my wife can take care of the kids. Up to now, I still have that. My wife works sometimes, but I've never, I, do, I don't want to see my wife just stressed about work. Every time when she feels, I just feel like she, oh, today it was too much. You know what the next, uh, the next thing I always tell her? You know what? Leave that job, stay home. I'll work for you. Because the way I was raised, I never see my mom stressed out because of work or what, Now She's just taking care of us, which I feel like we really enjoy the time we spend with uh, my mom more than my, the dad, which is not bad because he used to work hard to provide uh, everything for us. But here, we feel like I feel like if I'm working and my wife working as well, we're gonna have some disconnection between our kids and us. So my effort is just to make sure one of us stay with the kid, spend most of the time with the kid so they can just have that affection. And another thing I always tell them, no matter what, even if they get 40, 50, if they still like need me, I can just keep providing everything for them in order to be successful. I will never give up like, to say that like, once we get 18, you're going to go out to start your own life. No, for me, I feel like I have too much responsibility on them to make sure they just go to the right path to just living their, their dream life. Th-
0: th- thank you for sharing that, Hamisi what what about you Brian? i'll
2: talk a little bit about my dad who um came here as a young man from jamaica and my dad worked hard and i think one of the things about west indian culture is they is a, there's a strong emphasis on like family education hard work all those things kind of come together and so for me as a kid growing up i had three brothers two older and one younger it was the four brady boys and i have to say that my dad to me was the coolest person in the world i just really kind of enjoyed um being raised by him and just his just general like good spirits he was always one of those people who, when he spoke, it sounded like he was singing. He had one of those voices. Um, And when he would greet a person, he would greet them with such joy that you felt like you were the only person in the whole world. So it was always nice to call my dad It was always nice to come home from school or, or at the end of the day when he would see you to to have that level of like joy expressed at you. So I always found that a really great um, Thing and I I always wish that I could do that And I, There are a lot of people like that in the world But I tend to be one of those guys that is a little bit more reserved But I always kind of appreciated that as a personality that my dad had um, and today when I think about my children, I have um, I have two boys and, and three girls and I'm always thinking about how to make their life better and how to sort of provide them with that same sort of anchor in their lives where they feel when they're home a sense of security and stability Um, And confidence that gives them that leg up when they go out into the world Um, And so, you know, a lot of times when I was a kid it was a lot of emphasis on um, Particular behaviors and for me, I think about those things as well when I try to provide that same sort of advice to my children Um, And you know, I have to say that there's a lot more distractions with tablets and phones and computers the internet streaming a thousand channels on um online that it's very difficult to have those moments but i see them and when they do happen they really are a very important aspect to me
0: oh th- th- thank you for sharing that uh brian and Missy. um i think for me for me it's been it's been very fascinating because um, I had a very short period of time of, of, of having kind of that connection, that relationship with my biological father when he was around. So it was a good, a good I would say, eight years of him being around in my life. But even when he was around, he wasn't really around. Like he was always uh, deployed somewhere. You know, he worked for the government in the Congo. So you'd always, you know, I, I, I only saw, I saw him sporadic at times un, 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 until probably I would say, the last year and a half of his life when we actually moved from the Providence where we were living and moved to Kinshasa, where um, the position that he was given, he was more stationary in the capital. But my relationship with him was very different. He was very, you know, kind of similar to Hamisi's his father, how he explained. Like, he was always out and about taking care of the family. Um, and with him and I, he didn't really have a lot of, like, emotional connection with me. For him, it was really more about the disciplinary side of things, right? Like, I remember things like, you know, is your knees dirty? You got to scrub your knees. Like, I don't want to come home and see your knees dirty. Like, you know, I, I remember seeing him Um, around the education stuff, he always put me in experimental classes. I remember in the Providence where we were leaving, there was a local university there, and um, teachers would, professors would do experimental teachings to kindergarten students around mathematical formula, and I was one of the kids that was part of that program. Um, So then when we moved to, to the Capitol, it was always like, it was always about like your performance, and unfortunately, that was a lot of the experiences that I had with him. And when he was, I remember towards the end when he was deployed, I, when I would talk to him to the, on the phone, he would always say, take care of your mom, take care of your brothers. And mind you, I was six and a half years old, seven years old. And that's what he would tell me. Take care of your, your mom and take care of your your brothers. Um, but I, I would say, though, where I got kind of that that emotional attachment and that intimate attachment was really a, the relationship that I had with my mother. And and um, so she played that role, you know, like 100%. And, and later on in life, when I finally moved to America, uh, different male figure through churches and different community male that I really gravitated towards, they're the ones who kind of, you know, they, they, they were there to kind of play that male figure. So translating that into my father role, once I started having kids, I... I actually learned a lot about how to be affectionate. Not how to be affectionate, but how to, how to be present around the emotional drive that you feel as a father from your kids. I actually learned a lot of that through my wife. Because I realized that like, I, I wasn't trained to like allow myself to just like enjoy that moment of like oh my daughter she just made me feel this way like her giddiness or my son the way that he did this and and I remember having those conversations early on because I thought as a dad like I had to be firm right like 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 it's not that I wasn't showing emotion but for me to receive the emotions and the feelings that I was getting from my kids I I thought that I needed to suppress those those feelings because I was never really taught like and it's not really part of my culture either. Like, I would say, like, growing up in the Congo, like, it wasn't like, like, dads weren't like, oh, my son, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how easy, what your experience was. Like, but like, dad didn't jump on, like, give your kids a hug and like, oh, how you doing? Come sit on my lap. Like, that wasn't part of the thing. And I, act- I actually had to kind of retrain myself in how to be present around the emotional, just like the emotion that happens. You know, so um, so I, I definitely wanted to share that because I feel like that's been part of that journey for me. But I, I am that, curious though. Oh, Brian, I know you got to share something, so. I'll, no, I was
2: going to say, I, I also have to say part of it is um, that generation, I mean, our fathers work really, really hard. And, you know, they spent a lot of time at work and out of the home and we get this opportunity um, just because of technology and just the understanding of work to be more available. And it just changed the dynamic enough to give us the ability to raise our children slightly different than the way we were raised. And this is something that's only been really available for the last 15 years and 10, in a way that's highly available. And so it, is, it, it has kind of changed.
0: Yeah, and, and that evolution is something that I've been so fascinated about because, like, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's, like, it, it really – for me personally, it had to be a decision that I had to make as a father to be, like, it's okay for me to to allow myself to feel this emotion around how my kids make me feel because yeah. I, I wasn't taught about that. I, like, like, I remember even even with my mom, like, she – my mom was, like, you got hurt by something, like, come on, Dale you got this, like, because weakness – Anything that was going to break you apart internally, there was no space to even consider that. You know, so it was always like, put your best foot forward, put your best foot forward. But I also want to piggyback to what you just said, Brian, like it's almost the access that we now have in terms of time, resources, flexibility. I know it looks different for everybody. Kind of like affords you to have the space to be able to commit on those other things. I don't know if that makes sense at all. But anyways, Hamisi, I'm curious for you, like, how have you been able to develop that kind of that emotional connection with with your children? And and I've seen you at real life, you know, with, with your kids through Bring It, with soccer tournament or different stuff in community and conversations we've had even through, you know, COVID with remote learning. But I'm just curious, like, how have you been able to you know to to hone into that, that you know that, that emotion connection, you know
1: yeah uh, as you know, I've been working a lot like past nine years I've been working second shift, but I just feel like I had some disconnection to my to my kids, especially uh, before this pandemic before they started about learning, imagine me Get back home around 12 a.m. Get ready to sleep, maybe at 1. Then wake up at 6, go to school at 6.30 or 7. And then when I, I come back again to work, they, they're already uh, sleeping. So I had that disconnection between, like, the, with my kid. So I decide to move to Fresh so I can just, have more time with them. So I can just give them the time, the one that they need for me. But I really enjoy this uh, eight month I came home with them since, uh, since March. I really get time to understand my kids, to know them better, even to that, just teach them. Most of the time you, you used to see them uh, bring it. Someone will, take, will bring them and someone will just pick them up, which I didn't like that. I want to be involved in their life. I want to just get, like, experience their, their, their life. Uh, like, I want to just put myself on the same shoes with them so we can just understand each other better and then we can just, they can just grow in with uh, one, um, like, One experience. Like for me, my kids, they are always with me, and I always just tell them, this is not good. This is good. For this, sometimes they they can come to me like, Papa, we're gonna do uh, shopping, we're gonna do this. Yes, we can do that, but there is time for everything. If we don't do today, we're gonna do it tomorrow. Don't pressuralize or don't put too much pressure on to say if you wanna do it, it's better to say, okay, I can do it. But that depends with your time. You have to have a schedule. You have to plan everything. And then if some, something like happen, you see like your mom, you can ask your mom and she said, no, just don't blame how don't start complaining. First, you're going to ask her, mama, why? What happened? Oh, daddy, why this happened? And he's he going to give some uh, reason he's going to give to you to say this is not right, uh, it's not right because I have to do something. I have to do this one. So for me, as you say, you just keep learning by yourself as you just get some experience where living with your mom and your, your young brothers. And now you're with your, your kids. But for me, I learned from my, mom, my dad. I learned from uh, other parents in Africa, but different way here. Because no matter what, we have. Different experience right now with those uh, parents in Africa, which I feel like is so hard for those uh, parents, especially for dad Because imagine he does, he gotta go to work in the morning and maybe come back around 10, 11 p.m. The kid already sleeping, he doesn't know how they eat, he doesn't know how they sleep, because that is the way of life he has to fight for his family. So that one, I'm, I'm so, I wish I can do something so those parents, they, those dads, they can have more time with their kids because they, they work seven days. They can't say like, this is my day off so I can be with my family. If he stay home, how is they going to eat? How is going to make uh, his family survive? So this is what I just feel like. Those people maybe, and I told my, I told my dad, one time I, I told him, like, I know we didn't have enough time to be, uh, like to spend together, but I do understand why now because I have family, you have to work hard to make sure we get what we need. So this is what I've been thinking a lot. And uh, I want to just do something for those families which, which they always say like, we don't see our dad we, like the way I I I've grown up. My dad was there, but I always see my dad like no most of the time. Maybe I can see him like the, like. Even no, I don't. I don't think I used to see him like. to spend a day together. No, we, we never spend a day together. No, until we go to refugee camp is that when we start living together. Like most of the time, because he didn't have work anymore. So that six years before we came to the United States, when we just get time to live with my parents, to live with my dad, learning something from him. So it's kind of hard for African parents, but for us, I'm still learning. Yeah. I'm still learning. Thank you,
0: Thank you so much. And, and, and I know we can talk forever. I have one last question before we close up. Um, and my last question is, during this time, where in America obviously there's there's a lot of social unrest in terms of how you know black black skin people are treated or perceived at times and um um my last question to you guys is like as fathers like how do you how do you I don't even want to use the word like protect or how do you help inform your children and how they navigate within, kind of the, the the societal, you know, expectation or perceptions that are imposed on them automatically just based on, you know, the, the 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 features that they have, right? Like, how how do you prep your? What what do you say to them? How do you like? What how do you prep them? Right. That's 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 one of my question and and um. And one of the things that I I've been reflecting on a lot, especially, you know, we we had my family and I had a chance to move like three three years ago, get out of the place we were living, and we we thought about moving more in the, in the outside of the current city where we live, which is Manchester, and more and out the outskirts of it, because you know the, the word is there's more there's better school, there's a matter, there's better that, and I started to reflect. I'm like, New Hampshire is really not a very diverse place in terms of know ethnicity like i don't want my kids to be the only ones you know and and i know that's not even their train of thought that's my train of thought based on experience that i've had so that actually informed where we ended up moving to i was like "Ah, i'm gonna stick around in manchester that's right we're gonna find another place in manchester but i'm just curious you know how do you how do you prep your kids how do you what do you tell them you know what do you what i'm just i'm that, that's my last question for today. And and I know that it's, it's something that many, you know, African-American parents wrestle with every day in terms of what they want to instill in their children so their children have dignity, they have courage, they have power, but also play is safe that they don't end up getting hurt. So I'll start with Brian with that question.
2: Well, I think every... Um Growing up in America as a Black man, you learn relatively quickly how you are perceived by the surroundings, your surroundings. Um, I grew up in Springfield, Massachusetts, which was significantly more diverse than Manchester. And I've learned how to kind of navigate the world around me by being very perceptive, understanding sort of who's around you and how they're behaving. One of the things that I always think about is, you know, everybody loves black children, right? Especially black boys. They're cute until they hit this age of 14 and they grow three feet and become men in in the minds of everybody in the world. But for us as fathers, they're still children. And so children are bound to make stupid mistakes, but they don't get the second chances And so you want to make certain that they're very aware of the world that they're born into and and they're living. And it's very important to be able to make certain that they don't become sort of self-inflicted victims. They need to maintain the mental freedom. I think one of the things that it's very important for me to be able to express to my son and to all of my children is sometimes you have to be humble on the outside, recognizing that, It does not really impact your pride. And when they behave in ways that are actually inappropriate, I say to them, have some self-respect because your behavior is not a reflection of your environment. It's a reflection of how you react to that environment. And so it's super important that I give them that lesson and continue to drill it because I'm not always going to be around to kind of help navigate the situation. They may walk into a room and have to learn how to address it themselves. And I want them to be able to stand up with pride and speak up when they need to, but also maintain that sense of humility when they have to, because you know, in a lot of times, it, you, the situation may dictate uh, different responses to it, and you want to make certain that they understand what's the best way to to protect their their life and 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 health and just being able to survive it and overcome it.
0: And and is that on ongoing basis? Like when I say ongoing, yeah. you know, every day, every week, like when an opportunity is present, hey, I have to reinsure that again,
2: because I feel like you know, they're missing it a little bit. It's important for them to make sure that you know they're
0: grabbing onto that.
2: Well, I, I have to say, you know, my kids grew up in an environment, especially when you think about their early years, their formative years. I mean, Obama was in the White House and their experience of the world was a lot different than the last three years. I mean, one of the things that sort of hit them in the face in the last three years or so is the black experience in America. And I think this is a time for me to be able to talk about that to them on a more regular basis. And so, you know, there is more to teach and things are going to navigate and change as they get older and become citizens in this world, but I want to make certain that they recognize that they basically they're they're a reflection of themselves, a reflection of me and my father and my father's father and so on and so forth. And that, you know, we can always make changes and be better as people, uh, but we have to start with ourselves.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. Hamisi, I'm going to throw it back to you, but I just wanted to emphasize something that you say, Brian, is that is, is is almost like, like that humility, but I also heard this like don't inflict don't inflict a certain energy and vibe just because the status of how you might be perceived is that right? right. And, right. and oh my gosh, that's it's like oh. how, how do you still have pride, right? How do you still have that self pride within yourself, but then at the same time have to Almost depending on the situation, almost have to kind of backpedal because you're like, I can't face this within this face value because of who I am already sets me up for a certain reaction that might occur. So I have to be the bigger man and the bigger person to say, knowing that's the way of the land is, I'm gonna approach it this way. Oh my goodness. You know, that oh that thing right there is the thing that it's a constant. And even for us, I'm assuming as adults, like, you know, the more knowledgeable we are, the more we've had those cross-cultural experiences, we just, we have to make those decisions on a daily basis. Is this something that I'm willing to confront now because I know for sure what's playing out might be prejudice or or racism or discrimination at face value, or am I gonna be the bigger person at this moment because it might not even be that, that, that important for me to address right now. So I'm gonna scoop and keep moving. Oh, Brian, you're killing me, man. You're killing me with that. You're killing me. All right, Hamisi, I'm going to throw it to you, man. I'm going to throw it to you, my brother. How, how, do, you, how, how do you prep your, your kids? Because, you know, you, you, you know your, older, your older kids, they've been here for a good amount of time. And, and to a certain extent, you know, the, the, the American way has kind of taken over to a certain extent. And then your younger kids, are, they've been born here. So how do you, how do you prep them in dealing with kind of the way that the world might view them and, and what might come about?
1: Yeah, I always just uh, give them few things which I always tell them, if you respect this one, you're going to end up to the right path. Like, first, no matter what, don't underestimate yourself. And don't let anybody tell you you can't. First, you gotta be proud who you are. You gotta just be you. It doesn't matter who just tell you. Oh, Juma, Lordy, Mamadi, this. Just if you have what you have inside, and you're confident, you are confident for what you have stuck on that one. If it's good thing, be you. Don't try to just please someone and hurt yourself. Second, I always tell them we don't count a lot what is just outside. We count what is inside. And don't count yourself, good or bad. Let others tell you who you are. From them, you're going to learn more. But for you, you're going to keep trying your best to be you. If I'm saying to be you, you have to admit I'm a black kid, I'm a black person, and I'm going to do this. It doesn't matter who they are, but I'm going to just be me to give them what I have. Especially in this community right now, because we've been talking a lot. And I told them, they asked me one day, like, Papa, is this uh, Black Lives Matter is in Africa? And I told them, no way. For us, this is the first time I see, uh, since I came came to the United States, this is what what I just feel like. There is uh, some discrimination, there is racism here. But back home, even if we see a white, even if we see a uh, a white person, we're friendly. We just go there and then we wanna talk to, we just wanna be close to him, to know him better. We don't need to push him away. We just want to know him better. But over here, we just get that one. We never, I, we never experienced those uh esclavages, but to just make sure, like to just give like this, this is this high class, this is uh, middle class, this is like uh low class. No, we don't have that one. So for me, we don't have that one, and you guys have to keep that in your mind. We never have that one, or oh, nobody's above another one. We're all equal, but we different. the difference is that's between what you get on what you give uh, back, if that was counts more. Well here you have it.
0: <laughs> I got I got chills in the back of my ears having this conversation with Brian and Hamisi. And I hope to bring them back hopefully in the spring so we can continue this conversation. Um, this is what it's all about I think you know that each each person has its own story and each story that's unique to them and I think it's so important when we come at it from a curiosity and a learning perspective to want to learn from one another in order to better inform what the experience of, of others are in order for us to be better informed in how we treat communicate and engage and interact with one another so I want to say thank you so much to Brian and Hamisi for joining me on this, um, podcast. And, um, if you, if you want to subscribe, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud. We appreciate you guys. And, um, it's about persevere to excel. That's what it's about. That's what this podcast is about. And I am super grateful and super thankful to be able to have this authentic conversation with my brothers. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank
1: you.